Everybody for Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you're listening to the Aftershock, the show where we get you all the latest and greatest from the world of Web3 to keep you connected to the future of crypto. So today I'm joined, of course, by my co-host Richard Carthon. Richard, how are you doing? Doing all right, Steve. Uh, we got Agme coming up this week, so pretty excited about that. Um, so getting all the last minute preparations in in order, but uh, feeling good about it. So if if y'all are coming in, looking forward to meeting you in person. If not, we hope to catch you at the next one, but feeling pretty good about that. How are you doing this week? You know, man, I'm really excited about Agme. I think that it's going to be a really great conference. We've got a lot of great speakers lined up and um, I'm hope I'm really hopeful that people take op- the opportunity to network because I think IRL events are still very underserved right now. The value of getting the chance to connect in person as opposed to, you know, over Twitter spaces and over, you know, Clubhouse, it's just, it's not the same. You know, you want to think that it is, but it isn't. So I encourage everybody, if you can get out to Agme, that's of course, Austin's going to make it in downtown Austin on the 28th. Please do. Um, we will be there and ready to rock and roll. Um, as far as the markets are concerned, Rich, it's kind of more of the same, right? It's yeah. still more of a stagnating feeling um, with the exception of a couple really big bullish sales. So I'm going to continue to keep an eye on those things and report back on it. But I would love to dive into this week's Aftershock with you. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The Aftershock. All right. So in the Web3 lightning round this week, we've got five stories for you that are crypto general. We will then get into last week in the metaverse. But at the, at the top of the Web3 lightning round this week, we have Freeway Token, a staking platform that has been lauded for its 43% returns officially halting withdrawals, citing market volatility. So I guess, Rich, the answer is even the decentralized protocols are not immune to market volatility and you know halting withdrawal because this is a technically DeFi solution as opposed to some of these centralized finance solutions like Celsius and um, BlockFi and, the other, and all these other big exchanges. So what is the read here? Is it that DeFi is really not what it was all cracked up to be or how are you reading it? So there's there's a play of CFI in there. Um, it's it's centralized in the sense that uh, the companies that are the coins that they were going with, they would try to make you pair the freeway token to get like what's called a supercharger to then earn like the maximum amount of, of yield to then give their uh, their token more utility and and, and more reason to uh, have stability. And what I think happened here was an example of. Companies that are trying to do extremely high APYs extend it during bear markets. It just isn't as feasible um, because a lot of what happens and what happened with Celsius is when you have this money that comes into the platform, what they then do is take that money and they try to go and invest it into other opportunities. Now, if what they went and invested in and they underperform and then they get to a point where their books or they owe more money than what they actually have on their books, then that's when they halt for market instability um, <laughs> and, and market volatility to, to try to, to lock all that up because they know that if they have to potentially file for bankruptcy, they need to keep some cash on the books. And it's just so sad and unfortunate to see this. There's a lot of people 
um, that I know are in this. I uh, once upon a time tried Freeway, uh, was able to get my money on, was able to get my money off. Then all the stuff happened with Celsius, and I just steer. I got my money off of everything um, that was uh, centralized, just just in case something like this happened. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have their money still locked up on Freeway that that I know in some of the Telegram uh, crypto communities that I'm in. And it's it's super unfortunate, man. Like there's there are people who I know who had six figure to millions of dollars on this protocol uh, on on this platform, and it's just it's 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 sad. There's no question that it's sad, but I'm what I'm curious about is, have we now gotten to the point where we have so much evidence of how DeFi is flawed and some of these even CFI crypto adjacent solutions like Freeway? Um, have so many intricate flaws with halting of transactions and you know not having the assets to back up what they claim they have that it's almost inevitable at this point that regulators are going to see this as a prime target for regulation. Do you think that DeFi can really succeed in in and around the regulatory environment as it stands right now? So DeFi on its own, I think there is a path forward because. It's it's smart contracts. It's I am going to put park my money here and provide liquidity for the pool, and I get rewarded back for a certain amount. And then whenever I'm ready to reclaim it back, it's a smart contract, give me my money back. The mistake is when these CFI companies are saying like, "Cool, we're going to do that too," but you're going to house this within my ecosystem. They're basically the ones that are holding it, and then they are the ones that have to send it back to you. And what the problem is with that is because it's not a smart contract, it's a trust situation where they're saying like, hey, we should give you your money back, but we aren't technically obligated to do so. That's where it keeps messing up in the world of the CFI DeFi bridge. And so what I think we're going to start seeing more and more people who see these high APYs, they're going to realize like all of my money is not worth this ROI when things go bad. And so you're going to have to really start looking at like, okay, uh, if it's a smaller APY percentage, you're probably not going to be putting as much anyway, just because you're not getting as much money back. But you are at least putting in a place where, like, it potentially feels more steady, feels more like it. You can't lose all your money in one fell swoop. But to your point around regulation, regulation has to come in and shield people from allowing this to continue to happen because ultimately companies should not be able to do this. However, because things are decentralized and, and people are going around doing different hoops to be able to, to participate in some of these high percentage yields, they're vulnerable. And when when this happens, unfortunately, there's just not a lot you can do but hope. And it's just, it's the saddest thing. So yes, I think I think regulation has to start coming in. Look, I think that regulation is inevitable. I think it's going to ultimately make it for you know the majority of people that want to come into crypto, but that have yet to do so. It's going to make it a lot more possible for them to actually enter. But I don't know how much of what we currently see today is going to be able to survive after we have regulation. Um, that's where my big question mark comes in for a lot of these DeFi protocols that are really focused on you know high APY. But that's just my personal opinion. Let's go ahead and forge ahead into the next story. And this is a big one on the last week, right? a lot of people are talking about Aptos. Now, Aptos is a blockchain that has been 
like seen as one of the hey everyone just wanted to let you know about you all the amazing content we're making over hundred thousand transactions per second you can stay connected um, to crypto's top stories and trading topics with the aftershock so every wednesday join cryptocurrency is, miller and myself really for a brand new discussion on what's going on in the you know, wild world the of killers if you want to learn more about cryptocurrency and blockchain and don't know where to start crypto to crypto will cover everything that is or is not the analysis to the Join Chris K every Thursday exclusively so, on YouTube to get this content. Solana came Finally, out if you want to take a deeper dive into the world of NFTs and learn more about all the latest and greatest of what's happening in that space while capturing Alpha, join Steven on NFT Thursdays exclusively on Twitter Spaces on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. They're not trying to join our content. And if you're enjoying it, please like, subscribe, share, and leave comments so that we can continue to give you the content. You shouldn't be able to shut down the entire blockchain because of it. Now, they are have a lot of VC financing uh, through Silicon Valley money, um, big names and brands behind it. Uh, they've been building this for four years. So you go back to 2018 in the last bear, uh, bear market for this next bull cycle, they have been building and building and, and getting all of this ready to go. And so you would think that if they were touting themselves on 100,000 transactions per second, they'd come out the gates able to do that. And because they're not, um, it's it's kind of deflating, um, especially as much and as long as they've been waiting to launch this, they're, they're doing it during its bearish times. And what are a lot of these early investors and whatever going to do? They're going to dump. And that's exactly what happened. Like they, they, they came out, I think around $14 and then immediately dumped um, to, to almost half around $7. I think it's up to like nine-ish or, or, or so now. Um, but there's a lot of premise uh, a lot of promise. There's a lot of, um, there's already been over a couple millions in transactions that have happened on the chain. They have some good stuff going for them. It's just been lackluster coming out the gates. And I think that's where a lot of people are just kind of like on the fence of, you know, what is this, what is this going to look like? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't really think that this chain has a lot to bring to the market. I think that you've already seen a lot of these other Ethereum I don't want to call them copycats because it's not what they are. They're just different ecosystems. These different ecosystems all have certain things that set themselves apart. But at the end of the day, what a lot of people are looking for in crypto is true decentralization, not centralization. And with the amount of VC dollars that have come into projects like Solana, Aptos, um, Terra Luna, as another example that no longer is with us, they are naturally centralized. And I think a lot of people over time are going to start to see the effect of that by the way that they dump, right? Because you need to see the amount of the tokens not necessarily wrapped up in one, two, three, four, five individual entities. You need to see it spread out. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm still bullish on Cardano long-term because Cardano is the most decentralized of all of them and it's not even close, Right. So to me, I think that you've got another interesting competitor entering the fray here with Aptos. But to me, it's not enough to differentiate itself from all these other chains. We'll have to see, right? But I think that in the multi-chain future that I envision, I'm not sure that Aptos can carve out enough of a, you know, a, size, a sizable slice of the pie to really exist and you know, have longevity. But that's just my two cents on it. Let's go ahead forward into the next story. Hong Kong comes forward and has announced that they want to legalize crypto trading. This is really interesting given the current geopolitical climate. So I'm going to leave this one to you so I don't stumble over my own words. Go for it. 
Yeah, so Hong Kong is trying to, um, as as you said, Steve, legalize crypto trading. And, and one of the reasons that they're trying to do that is when you look at the overall crypto Web3 market, there's a very large presence over uh, in, in the Asian side of the world. And they see this as a way to be able to capture some of that market and to be one of the hubs over on that, that side of the world. Right now, Singapore is kind of leading the charge. Um, and you're even seeing some some more come into fruition in, in, in South Korea. And they are trying to, uh, Hong Kong is, is trying to bring in some of that talent and some of that opportunity over into Hong Kong. So um, I think it's an interesting take. I think there is an appetite for it. <laughs> I think all of this is going to really hinge on how long is it before China is going to really try to take over Hong Kong? And if that moment happens, is the U.S. going to step up and try to do something about it? You know, <laughs> we'll all see. But it's uh, interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it is really, really interesting to see how it you know all is going to play out. But I'm not sure that this is going to stand, if you will. Um, it's it's a really, really tricky geopolitical climate right now as it relates to both Hong Kong and Taiwan. And I, I'm not sure that China is going to allow for these nations to go crypto native, right? And that, because that's really what we're headed towards, right? It's like a lot of the APAC region at large has started to make positive crypto legislation and positive crypto moves. Now, China, on the other hand, has said, we're fine with crypto as long as it's coming from us. That's dangerous at least in my opinion. I don't plan on traveling to China anytime soon. So let's go ahead and move forward into our fourth of five stories this week. This one is one that I'm personally pretty amped up about. I think there's a lot of promise as it relates to Twitter's Blue Blue Sky protocol. Um, For those that are not aware, Twitter's decentralized social protocol, Blue Sky, just announced its formal platform across the last week. And within 48 hours, their um, beta rollout has gotten 30,000 signups. And that's really impressive because it's not something that they're advertising very, very widely. It's just like people that have been tracking it have caught wind of it. This has the potential to be big for interoperability within the social future of the internet. And at the same time, it allows you to take custody over your own identity online. There are some opponents of Blue Sky saying that like it can't possibly be decentralized if it's being developed by Twitter. And I think that that's just baloney, right? Because you ha- when you look at how all these protocols are developed, they all have to be developed, right? It's not like all of these just little individuals across the globe are going to group up to build out a protocol that seamlessly. It's, it has not happened like that. I think Bitcoin is like one of the only examples. Ethereum is another really fine example. But if you look at stuff since those two, it's always been you have a founding business that builds out that protocol initially, and then eventually it decentralizes from there. So Richard, given the like the rapidness of signups for the beta of Blue Sky, where do you see it going? Do you think this is something that's going to catch on a lot quicker than other social competitors in the decentralized Web3 future, like a Lens protocol? Or is Lens already one step ahead? I think it's interesting because you have something that was initiated by Jack Dorsey, old uh, you know CEO of Twitter. Twitter's now about to be owned by Elon Musk, and you know who knows how that's going to go. So by having this in place, 
it's almost like a, being a step ahead of like looking at what that next level of decentralized socialization looks like. So that kind of gives me pause to thinking that they could put in some sort of backdoor um, within the protocol. I think it's going to be really hard. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I think the intention is it for it to be, you know, decentralized in, in everything else. But also think that when you have founders who come from the web 2.0 space, there's always going to be these what if scenarios and whatever, and they have to have a way to play nice with regulation and regulation is always going to want a way to stop something or get information. Um, if, if the case or use case is large enough to be able to tap into it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of backdoor in it, but all in all, all the same, I think this is huge news that 30,000 people already signed up in the first 48 hours. Um, it, it shows an eagerness to, to try out some of these new um, Web3 social platforms. And I mean, there's been several that's created and there's several that's been live for a while, but they haven't really picked up a ton of steam. Um, people have recognition through Twitter uh, to, to at least give this a good look. And I think Blue Sky has a, a really cool opportunity in front of it. The big benefit to me of Blue Sky is the idea of being able to tra- like take your handle and your identity across all these protocols. Right. That's that's the big thing because trying to keep your handle consistent from platform to platform today is a nightmare. I mean, it really is. So to me, like I see a benefit with what Blue Sky is envisioning, just as I see what ENS is doing as really, really big, right? Because with ENS, you have the potential for stuff like signing with Ethereum, right? You can sign in across multiple platforms using your ENS um, domain. So do I think that one has legs over the other at this point? I don't. But I think that the potential for both is really, really significant. So my hope is, is that we actually see a bridging of the two in the future. Um, but what I can tell you for sure is that it's not going to be um, a future led by unstoppable domains. More on that later. Let's jump into the final story that we have in the lightning round this week. And it comes courtesy of a former guest of our interview series here at CryptoCurrent. That is Zerion. Zerion has announced they have raised an additional $12.3 million to build out a wallet application to take on MetaMask. Now, Richard, you're the one that spoke with representatives from Zerion in the past. I want to get it from you first. Tell us a little bit about this news and why it's important based on what you knew of Zerion before. So what I've always appreciated about Zerion coming out the gates is they are trying to be a lot more interoperable. It's a lot more protocols. Now, since the recording of the show, MetaMask has come out and become more compatible with other chains um, like Avalanche, um, BSC, and, and, and some others. Zerion kind of came out the gates and was like, how can they be interoperable with as many chains as possible? And, and that's why a lot of people uh, initially use them. And to come out just plainly and say like, hey, we're trying to compete with, with MetaMask, because MetaMask right now is the standard as, as far as some sort of uh, extension or, or wallet that you use to plug into everything, have your crypto and, and have your hot wallet. Um, I'd say MetaMask is, is the go-to, but it still has its limitations. I think Zerion is you know, strategically placed to kind of come in and, and shake that up. And this raise and the people that put money into it seem to believe the same. So I think this is great news. I think it's awesome. I think competition is always 
can be a good thing. And um, the the team at Zerion's been doing a great job so far. So we'll 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 see what comes of this. No doubt on that. Let's jump into the metaverse, shall we? Last week in the metaverse, there were a bunch of top stories, and the first of them is Azuki with its proof of skate auction. Now, this is a really interesting project because Azuki, as you know, took massive, massive reputation hits earlier on in the year um, with their you know, co-founder Zagabond. But since then, they've really tried to move forward and step into this future of, you know, reality, like physical backed tokens, right? So the PBT model that they're moving forward with is starting now with this proof of skate auction, where they've created these gold plated skateboards and have sold them at auction to their holders. Now, that auction, I believe, was reserved to eight of these gold-plated skateboards. And collectively, it drew in $2.5 million for these NFT-backed skateboards. I don't know about you, dude, but like in a bear market, to me, it just to me says that we're not going anywhere. Like <laughs> the bearishness cannot kill NFTs. And it's this is like their way of saying, like, watch us. Hold, hold my skateboard, if you will. What's your read on it? How do you how do you interpret the amount of money that just went into this auction? So the thing that's going to continue to drive the NFT market forward is that there's so many unique ways of monetizing art, experience, and hype. And there's always a market for those three things, no matter what's going on. And they did a good job of blending all three in this. You have a limited series, eight of them. Um, so there's scarcity. You have a gold-plated proof of skate skateboard. So exclusive and like a gold-plated skateboard. That's insane. Backed by an NFT. People are always going to want to have that thing that they can point to and be like, here's my social, like here's this social status. Here's here's this thing that no one else can get, and I got it. And and it's all art is always relative. Someone might look at a piece and be like, I'd only spend hundred bucks on that. And someone else might look at that and says, that is worth $10 million. It's all relative. And what we continue to see in this NFT space and why I think it's always going to be a market for it is because it's always based on your end audience and what do they perceive as value. And obviously enough people saw this to be valuable enough to spend $2.5 million. Yeah, I'm not sure I get it. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't understand the story. I, I don't. I think that it just to me looks like another deliberate cash grab. I'm just going to call it the way I see it. Do I think that physical back tokens will be a major part of the future of Web3? I do. But I think this is a very... I, let's just say it's a very Zagabond way of doing things. I don't... I don't trust an Azuki as a project personally. They lost me from when all of that came out. And I hope that, you know, the project is successful at the end of the day. But right now I don't buy it. Let's jump into the next story though. One of the most anticipated marketplace launches, at least of the last, you know, six months, has been that of Blur. Now, Blur is a marketplace that is really leaning heavily on the fact that they've wanted to build in pro features into a marketplace 
but it also operates as an aggregator, meaning like it operates just like Genie and Gem and even now Coinbase, where they bring in all of the sales listings from OpenSea, LooksRare, X2Y2, as well as give the, the individual seller the opportunity to list natively on the platform. Well, they launched last week, and within one week, they've now taken on so much of the market that they've become the number one NFT aggregator by volume in less than a week. To me, very, very bullish news. I don't know how you would take this story, Richard, but like for me, I like the platform a lot. I think there's a lot of promise to a platform that is really trying to provide a upscaled experience from what we've already seen. But I still believe that like there's going to be a much bigger future with micro marketplaces and project specific marketplaces. That's my own personal read on it. But just based on the story headline itself, how do you feel about this kind of massive, you know, on taking from Blur becoming the number one aggregator? It's very bullish news. I think what's going to be important to see over time though is can they keep it? I, no matter what market you're in, it's impressive to become number one in anything, um, whether it's for a couple of minutes, an hour a day, etc. The hardest part of all of this is staying there. And I'm curious to see if a, if a month from now, can they, can they hold this down? Can they still be number one? And if that's the case, man, like I, uh, good luck to the competition out there because uh, you have all these people building in this space trying to be the NFT marketplace that's unique for XYZ, blah, 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 blah. They're all trying, they're all trying to compete for this special like position, right? Because by having this and have people come through your platform, they get some of that money every time that transactions are going through. And like those add up, um, whether it, the market's going up or down, they're, they're cashing in. And so again, this is impressive. Can they stay there? Do you, do you think they have what it takes to stay there? I think that they do. Because I think that a lot of the... And it, like, look, this goes back to what we've talked about like a number of different times, right? It's the idea of competition. This marketplace, when I say the marketplace, I mean all of NFTs, really has been clamoring for a better marketplace solution than OpenSea. And I think that at this stage of the game, looks rare is not that solution. I think X2Y2 for a lot of people is kind of the solution. But they're only saying kind of because the fees are lower. Depending on what Blur's fees end up being at the end of the day is going to determine whether or not they keep that market share, in my opinion. I would love to see, love to see Blur overtake all of them in volume because I do believe that it has a much more capable platform and a lot more pro features that can make you a smarter NFT trader. That's their big differentiating factor. So for me, I like it a lot. I think that if you're, if you're not yet aware of Blur, you should go check it out. They are doing a token drop. Um, you should go and check that out as well. It's based on your past NFT transaction history. Again, you never know what these things turn into at the end of the day. So it's worth going and checking out. The token claim is 100% free. I think it's one gas transaction. Um, and it's worth just taking the time to go get those tokens because if Blur blows up, by the time we get to the next bull market, that's a pretty nice stack to have for sure. Our next story comes from a company called Roofstock. 
Now, Roofstock is a really interesting platform. They're trying to be like leave the native Web2 world and enter into Web3 by kind of becoming the Zillow of Web3. And they've just closed some serious funding to back that up. So let's talk about the headline first. Roofstock sold its first home tied to an NFT in the United States. This happened last week. The home that they sold, sold for $175,000 in South Carolina, and it was in fact financed. What I found really unique about this is that they used Teller Protocol to enable financing with what is called the USDC Homes Lending Pool. So it's a really specific line of equity that you can go and tap into to finance your home without having so many intermediaries to play with. Now, where we go from here is starting to realize the fact that while it's just the beginning and this is the first NFT transaction of a home, and it you know is a soup to nuts foundational play that is completely legal, it works within the existing you know real estate markets and the way that you need to resolve these things to get title, there is a very bright future here. I didn't think we were going to see this happen nearly as soon as we have. And the proof in the pudding is that Roofstock, just before this, closed a $240 million round, netting them a $1.9 billion valuation. Richard, they've only done one home. They've sold one home and they're already considered a unicorn. That's, in, that's crazy. They're considered a unicorn in a bear market and they're still only having sold one home. I am like, there's not a lot of words I can, I can use like there. This is the bullish future that we want to see for the housing market, because again, it's fixing a lot of the existing problems. It's simplifying what's a really complicated, antiquated and old system. But man, to get that type of valuation off of only one proven transaction is, I mean, is, is it, is that really bullish or is that like, cause for concern. I think that there's a lot more at play than just the one house being sold. There's got to be way more proprietary stuff. Maybe they have some patents. Maybe they have a pipeline that's just out of this world. Maybe they are on their team, have a whole bunch of other stuff. They have to be able to justify 1.9 to raise $240 million. And everyone's like, yeah, 1.9 billion sounds reasonable. They, it's got to be there. So I'd say this is bullish. I can't imagine that's $240 million of dumb money during this bear market. That's, that's where I'm just like, there's, it's got to be pretty legit to raise that kind of money at that kind of valuation right now in this moment. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't know if it is. And I, the only reason I'm playing devil's advocate here is like, I, I feel like this is, this is and has been part of the problem with valuing companies in the last five to 10 years. We've gotten to the point where these valuations out the, like out the gates are just so enormous that I'm not sure if it really will hold up on paper, right? We're ballooning valuation to the point where like these balloons are going to pop eventually and all of the valuations are going to have to fall back down to earth. I'm I'm really interested. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the fact that Roofstock is doing what it's doing, probably 
what I would say five to 10 years ahead of schedule, in my opinion, is really, really impressive. Like really impressive. But I don't know if it is as bullish of a signal. So I'm going to keep an eye on it for you at home. Uh, but we may be really looking at the Zillow of Web3. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Now on to the real shit show of the show. Um, we've been looking forward to talking about this story because I think it's nothing short of hysterical. Richard, are you familiar with Firefest? Were you planning on attending? Let's start there. Wasn't planning on attending, but very familiar with uh, some, some pretty good documentaries out there. So the Firefest, um, for those that are not familiar, was a big time music festival and like getaway experience on an island that was called Fire Island, F-Y-R-E. And it was the biggest bust in history. It was like the, the concert never happened. Um, the financing was all botched. Like it was just false promises galore. Something that I think that a lot of people think about crypto is that there's a lot of false promises here. I don't feel that way, but I know a lot of people do. Now, Firefest Island hasn't made the announcement that it is being turned into an NFT-run luxury resort. Talk about a, a major 180, but is it really going to happen? That's the question on everybody's mind. So, Richard, talk to me a little bit about this story. How does it make you feel? Will you be attending the Firefest luxury resort? or not. Uh, first thought is that this is a, a joke and that this is hilarious. Um, but on the other side of me is like, this is kind of genius in a couple of ways. One, brand recognition. Everybody knows Firefest, the biggest joke that it is. So you already have instant brand recognition for a lot of people. But what if you actually went and like did something with it and did have a resort and you have your first people and you give them the sweetest deal of all time because they don't want to be con part two. They go there and actually have the greatest experience of their life. And then people want to go back for more. Now, I think that's a good story. Um, I will not be one of those first people, though. Couldn't couldn't pay me enough money. You couldn't even tell me it was free. I just have to show up. Wouldn't do it. So I want to give you another example of an island that was NFT backed that I had high hopes over. And I really now just don't believe in it. And it's the um, Satoshi Island that they were working on. I, I know we reported on this a while back, but Satoshi Island was meant to have like an NFT passport. You know, you'd be able to get your NFT and have, you know, basically an identification card on the island and the ability then to purchase property. The problem with this is not so different from the Firefest Island being turned into an NFT-run luxury resort. There's a lot of, you know, skepticism around this entire story, but with Satoshi Island, the reason I'm skeptical is they chose, for some brave reason, to use BSC as their network of choice. And I have no faith in Binance and their, and their Ethereum-compatible chain. It just doesn't make sense to me. A lot of the scams that we've seen in this space have been run on the Binance Smart Chain. And to me, like that's a vote of like zero confidence. So I don't know how they're planning on deploying this. I don't know if they have a, ch a chain in mind, but it definitely does not bode well considering you know, you've seen so much of a scam get run on that island in the past with Firefest in the first place. But I think that we can joke about that one enough 
we'll we'll leave it to you to you know let us know in the comments what you think about Firefest going NFT. But let's jump into the final story of the day. And this one is a big one. Charts have started to come out after Reddit has officially started onboarding folks into NFTs and into crypto using their brand new integrated wallet feature. Um, but they're doing so because Reddit avatars are now going to be NFTs. The reason this is a very big deal is because by onboarding all of their user base and converting avatars into NFTs, Reddit has basically now onboarded more people into NFTs than OpenSea has. Think about that for a second. Reddit, in a month, has onboarded more people into non-fungible tokens and into crypto than OpenSea. Pretty staggering stuff. So, Richard, tell me a little bit about what your personal opinion is on this story and if you think that it is going to be as big of a boon for the market as I think it is. So everyone is familiar with GameStop and what happened with them. But, you know, a little bit over a year ago when the stock started pumping and then with AMC and all of that, um, that started on Reddit, on these threads where people were coming together, learning information and said, we're going to go do this thing. And people started making money. Um, Reddit has a very strong community and they're massive. And people who are within those communities if they find someone within the Reddit community that they feel strongly about and think that they're legit, we'll follow them into the dark abyss if necessary about anything. Not to say that NFTs and crypto are the, the dark abyss, but my point is, is that if someone says, hey, here's a really good opportunity, look into this, you will have an absorbent amount of people that will absolutely degen in, not think twice about it, and get into said community for the opportunity. and. We obviously here at CryptoCurrent think that NFTs are a really awesome and legitimate opportunity in a lot of different ways. There's always going to be some scams. But to bring in that mass of amount of people in that such short amount of time, it shows the power of when we talk about what does mass adoption look like? How do we start bridging these gaps from Web 2.0 to Web 3.0? We need these 2.5s. I think Reddit is a solid 2.5 type of application that is trying to help bridge a lot of these gaps in, in education pieces and hand-holding step-by-step. Here's how you get your NFT, et cetera. And, and people like having that community to help them get from point A to point Z and, and have someone along the way. And so we're going to need more of that to keep getting more and more masses into the space. The piece for me that makes the story a little bit more interesting is that I don't think that everybody uses Reddit. I think a lot of the world finds the Reddit interface not terribly user intuitive. It's kind of just a big message board, right? That's that's the constant gripe. But if you realize the amount of people that Reddit has actually, you know, got within its ecosystem and the amount that they just truly onboarded into NFTs. The potential just based on network effect alone and like the study of both Metcalf's law and Reed's law and how it applies here, it could have such an exponential like power shift within the space that we like we don't have a concept of what it could really do. I mean, I mean truly like this could be one of those things where we see NFT adoption go from, I mean, what, like zero to a hundred 
in 2.5 flat. Like it's just going to be, it could be ridiculous because I know most of those people that are on Reddit, they are hyper social individuals. They like being ahead of the curve and typically they don't shut up about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I know that you at least know one person I'm talking about, Rich, because there are people that followed the Wall Street bets movement that you were referring to when it came down to GameStop that because of all the hype that it drove and all of the human interest it drove across across the globe, they constantly told people. They were constantly telling people, you need to get in this, you need to get in this. They were some of the most fervent supporters. And they, and they ended up onboarding tons of people to Reddit alone, not just Wall Street bets, but to Reddit alone in that process. So if this does catch fire the way that it really does seem like it's going to, we could be seeing not just millions onboarded into NFT avatars, but we could see tens and maybe even hundreds of millions onboarded into NFTs, avatars, and just crypto at large in Web3 in, I mean, maybe less than a year. It, it could be really, really incredible if we, if we see this thing play out the way that I think it might. Um, but that's going to hinge largely on whatever else comes from the current financial markets and the geopolitical climate, right? There's way too much at play to make that type of assumption. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. So Richard, I want to toss it to you. There's a lot of great stories that we covered this week. What is on your mind as we exit this episode of The Aftershock? What's on my mind more than anything is what's going to happen after two weeks. So at the time of this recording, we're two weeks out from the U.S. midterm elections. And right now, there's a lot of macro events that have basically been shelved and put on pause until that moment occurs. Then after that moment occurs, basically all the bad things that need to start happening will probably start happening so that companies, businesses, countries can start planning for 2023 and what does projections and all that kind of stuff look like. And they don't want to bombard everyone in the last month of the year, December. They're going to do that probably halfway through November. So what's on my mind is what do we do in that interim? There's probably going to be some some fundamentals and some things that happen that uh, we, we might see a, a quick rebound up and, and some some price movement up. But I don't know that it's going to be a, a lasting movement. I think it might be like a short-term um, reversal. But that's what's on my mind right now. And of course, Agme. What about you? There's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, like there there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now. I think that... For right now, the best thing that you and I can do and the, our, that our listeners can do is focus on the present because Agme is going to be a great time. But after that, it's like all bets are off, <laughs> right? Like the, the election looks like it's going to be an absolute, you know, mess. You look at everything going on around the world. It looks like it's already a mess. Time, like time is the big, the biggest indicator. And I'm not sure that right now I want to be living in the future. <laughs> because it could get real gross real fast. Um, so in in the interest of leaving you on a high note, Richard, find a high note. <laughs> Here's a high note. This past week, we talked to Sam Padilla, 
who's going to be speaking at AGME. He is with the ATX DAO. ATX DAO is doing some really amazing things with being one of the first social DAOs that are out there that are trying to help um, the Austin uh, community get more involved in all things Web3, helping create policy for a local um, city and, and state since the capital's here in Austin, working on some of that and making a model that can be replicated um, not just here in the States, but overseas as well. It's a really great conversation. Sam's very well-spoken. Uh, so make sure you go check out that interview. And then uh, I know that I'm looking forward to listening to him at Agme. So I think that's a great uh, great way to end the show. <laughs> no doubt. Look, if you're able to join us in person at Agme on the 28th, please shoot Richard or I a DM. You can get us both on Twitter at Steve Miller underscore PHX or at Richard Carthon. We can, of course, help you get a ticket to the show. Make sure that you're in that you know space with us to hear all six of our panels. We have everything from NFTs to DeFi to smarter trading to interoperability, DAOs and the metaverse and even smarter trading, if I haven't already said it. I think I did. But the point is, is that all of this content is being brought to you for free. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to be recording all of it. So if you aren't able to join us in person, you'll be able to look forward to hearing that here at Cryptocurrent in the very near future. Um, we have a lot of exciting content ahead. We are not going to be slowing down. We've got a lot to cover in the future, and we hope that you will join us for it. If you like this episode, please do me a favor, hit that like button on the way out. Leave us a comment or write a review for us over on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Make sure you're subscribed. And of course, follow wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For now, I've been Stephen Miller. He's been Richard Carthon, and we'll catch you later. Stay Cryptocurrent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 